0: When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast. I know it's been a minute. I've been on the road for five weeks. And uh, I landed I'm back in Oregon, as you guys can tell. And uh, I wanted to have my good friend Pete Morton on because he has been uh, also helping out voluntarily, uh, trying to evac folks in Israel. And he's been in the middle of, of it all. And he's got intel and stuff that the news probably hasn't told us about, that he knows about. And uh, I want to share on our, our forum a uh, speech and all that good stuff that you guys are all aware of, but Pete, yeah, as you guys know, Pete served in the Army, Intel. Intelligence, right, Army? in the Intelligence
1: officer in yeah. the Army. But, you know, caveat that with I was enlisted for eight years and then transitioned to Intel. For all the Marines out there that might get, oh my God, he's an officer. I can't talk to this guy or listen to him. I did both. I was a, a must There you go. Guy. More respect. <laughs> so yeah, I, I did transition it's it's, uh, it's better, I think. But I'm not dogging any of my friends that went to the academy.
0: <laughs> but uh, as you guys all know, Pete's been very busy with everything going on on the ground in Israel right now. And I just want to bring on Pete, first of all, to just uh, showcase and say thank you for, you know, volunteering his time and not working for profit and trying to profit off a country's pain and loss and suffering that they're going through, obviously and uh, i i wanted to get something that wasn't news cycle driven but first firsthand knowledge of people on the ground boots on the ground what they're seeing out there and that's why i wanted to re- i reached out to be like we got to talk about this because you know we're all we all stand for israel and you know i have i have friends uh, all over the place over there doing stuff but uh pete thanks for coming
1: on hey thanks for having me yeah. Last time I did was... Ukraine. It was. Right at the beginning.
0: Isn't it interesting how we're involved with Ukraine right now? My my theory is the military industrial complex is running this show over there. But they need our help, obviously, because they're dealing with Russia and Iran and and China. But now here we are in... got battleship groups in the Mediterranean Sea. And after Biden gave his speech, God bless our troops, I'm like, oh, no. Or yeah. Our troops going to be on the ground. I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if I put too much credence. Copy that. In what he said there, I think he came back and I had to apologize for a couple of different comments that were kind of made off the cuff um, and not well thought out. But uh, still, at the same time, you're right. It's you know, when I first went into Ukraine, my goal there was to do a long term needs assessment and then figure out how we could support this thing and. I just remember everybody was like, oh, "This is not going to last very long," and I was like, uh, "Actually, I think if you look at it historically, like I do, doing predictive analysis, um, this is kind of following the same footprint." And, and I know it's totally different. We have different technology. Things move a little bit quicker than they used to. You know, if you look at World War II, World War One, but we're still following the same pattern. Uh, if you look at it more generalized, you know, it's. You know, uh, boots are not on the ground right now in Ukraine. We're supporting them financially, just as we did with other countries, you know, during World War II. It took, you know, a a huge attack on the United States to get us into the fight. You know, maybe we're sending a few people over to fight with the the UK during World War II, right? But but we didn't jump in fully until it was absolutely necessary and there was enough pressure on the president. Um, And it's the same thing that we're kind of doing right now. And now we're starting to see it evolve into multiple multiple fronts, you know, and yeah, Ukraine and the Middle East might not, you know, have anything to do with each other. But I do think when people see things evolving and they see, okay, resources are tied up here. Um, there's a lot of money going into this conflict. Well, maybe it's time that we can actually do something. Without having the repercussions that we would have if there was nothing you know going on, if money wasn't tied up in another country, it's the same thing that's happened over you know, the last few centuries. When when it comes to the world wars, a lot of times it's not because people are you know working together to take over the world; they're just taking advantage of the opportunities that they have to to um, capitalize and expand their their cause or their their lands or whatever they're trying to do. So. I kind of saw this coming um, a few years ago when I started in Ukraine. I just didn't know if the front, the first or the second front that was going to pop up would be in the Middle East or in Southeast Asia, like Taiwan area and that, um, which is another thing we just need to keep an eye on, you know. I I used to feel kind of concerned about speaking about these things, saying, hey, we can predict the future. but I've been right a lot lately, and it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. I mean, of life. If you go back on my feeds and stuff, yeah, you'd, and you, it's not fun to have to say, "Hey, this is going to happen." But mm. the problem is, people are not listening uh, in in politics and commercial organizations. Um, they're following another pattern of uh, not being able to accept the reality of a situation and plan and, and getting in front of it. You know, how do we throw a wrench in this cycle that's gone on for years and years and years and consistently happens? And so it, it is interesting to watch it happen uh, and sad to see how many people suffer because of it. Is
0: is the news really giving us the accurate description of what's happening on the ground by what we're getting on the different networks in the United States? Or what are you, What what would you, what's your thoughts on that?
1: kind of saw saw something that's been kind of developing over the last few years. When I first started seeing it, um, well, honestly, anybody who was in Intel, when the net came out and the ability to spread information, you know, lightning speed and stuff was like, oh, boy, this is going to be great. You know, we can use this to do all sorts of cool, you know, operations, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, misinformation propaganda. What I saw um, in Ukraine was, uh, the massive amounts of information being pushed through multiple channels, and how difficult it was to actually decipher what was true and what was not. Um, a lot of people, while I was working in Ukraine, were I was battling our own problems there from the propaganda being pushed about Americans being there, or you know, the the right wing or the left wing, and all this stuff. And I was constantly having to talk to people in Ukraine on the ground about know, what was truth and what was not. And try and debunk the massive amounts of information they're seeing. And then, of course, when it gets spread, it goes viral. You know, it lends credibility to it in certain people's you know eyes. And so when this kicked off, I was kind of more prepared for the onslaught of propaganda um, and information and misinformation. What's funny is a lot of this propaganda is not being spread nefariously. Hmm. It's just people um, getting spun up real quick. And that's another thing I've started seeing more of. And it's, I think it has something to do with the way we process crisis nowadays. And I think you're a Gen Z, right? I mean, used to be you had to go, something happened, you'd go, you'd have to watch the news. You only have a certain amount of time to watch the news when it was on. You'd see the story, you'd get the yeah. facts. Close as you can get, uh, but it was typically more factual. Right. And that was the information you got. If you wanted more information, you're doing research, you're calling people, you know, and you only had a few sources to go to. Um, that's not always good. I love having multiple sources of information to happen to. But uh, um, back then, the information was more vetted and there was more time put into vetting the information and before they pushed it out. Whereas now we just get it, it's crisis response you know it's like people they intake the information um and they're so used to taking in so much of it so fast Mm. that it's taken away this it's like being in a permanent state of fight flight or fear interesting wow you do that that part of your brain kicks in and all logic and reason is out i think that's what we're seeing a lot with the people who are getting you know involved in the the protests and You know, these protesters that are out there being violent and angry and what about this? But then you ask them a specific question about what they're protesting about and they can't answer it. And then they get more because it's emotionally driven Um, right? because they're going. Well, and they're going from intake of information, emotional response, anger. And they're so used to doing that. And then before they can even go back and kind of take a break, you know, Uh, and, and maybe logically process the information. Something else is coming in. Something else is happening and happening. I saw this. It's funny. I picked up on this with my kids and video games. And when I started seeing some behavioral problems with my oldest where he couldn't, uh, he couldn't process. You asked him to do something. It was intake, anger. And I know that he probably got a lot of that from me. Me. That's how I was when I was a kid too. But, um, it was to the point of like, this isn't natural. You know, how do we, what's going on? And and I started studying about video games, how that keeps you in a heightened sense. And sometimes your brain, because of all the, the information you're taking, whether you're playing a, a I don't let them play first person shooters and stuff, but exciting games where you feel threatened or whatever, your brain sometimes can't differentiate. So you're all, all the time in this state of fight, flight, or freeze. And so it takes away your ability to logically process the information. And when you do it all the time, your brain starts building those grooves, you know, where the response is automatic. And I think we're seeing a lot of that with people around the world. It's the same with the spread of the information, you know, somebody it pops up in their feed and they go, Hey, boom, that's bad. Oh no, oh my God. Without checking it, without verifying it. And like I said, once it goes viral, you know, people aren't verifying the information. And so there's there's a lot of accurate information out there. People just aren't taking the time to to verify it. No. You know, and they're just accepting it at face value and then they're going, it's actually perpetuating the crisis and turning one crisis into multiple crisis. Um, and it's, it's not the people shooting out that information. It's not their fault. It's people who have given up on taking the time to research and logically process the information or they've gotten in the habit of not doing that. That's what I've seen anyway. But the news that you're getting um, from all these different sources It is hard to, and and the more concerning thing is the large news organizations, the syndicated news organizations that have a reputation seem to be doing this as well. And a lot of bias confirmation where somebody, instead of being professional and and looking at things, maybe getting an opinion from somebody who's on the opposite side to balance out your view on something, they're just taking it. It's like, ah, I've been saying that for years. Put it out there you know, oh, this had to have happened. And it's just not very professional. There's been a lot of retractions lately, more retractions in the media than I've seen ever. Wow. Um, because of uh, the, the information that's being put out. Um, but by the time they retracted, it's too late because they perpetuated the crisis and caused people around the world to get spun up and angry and going out and hurting other people in these protests and things. And so, um, but there are the ground truth of it all, from my contacts, and I want to caveat, I did not go to Israel, and, and I'll explain why, but um, my contacts on the ground, life is going on. Uh, rockets in Israel is not a new thing. It's been going on for years, decades. Sure, right. uh, Moss has been bombing Israel for decades. You, know, you can't go a few months without a rocket somewhere. The, the level of it's more. And then, of course, this operation that happened where they went in and killed so many people um, changes things greatly and is definitely um, it's catastrophic for them and, and definitely hurts. But um, the, the other side of things, you know, for the people in the occupied areas, um, there are people there that are getting hurt and killed and, you know, Collateral damage is like we like to call it, you know, in the military. Uh, for you and I, that's just, we expect that. It's war. Uh, yeah, I wrote an article about that uh, a couple of weeks ago because everybody was asking me. It's like, oh, they can't win. They're going to kill people and innocent lives are going to be taken. It's like, yes, no matter what you do, no matter what side you're on in war, that is exactly what, what's going to happen. Um, there's no good outcome. It's bad all around for everybody. There's no winners. War sucks. Um, Suppose So there are people dying on that side as well. Uh, But um, it is kind of concerning the amount of misinformation, disinformation that's coming out on both sides. And the way people will latch onto that, capitalize off of it and make money off of it is pretty disgusting, I think.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree on that. And it's like like you said, they perpetuate it. And let's say, you know, who benefits from the negative part of it? You know, should I say the military-industrial complex, or should I say Iran? You know, because Iran wants fear because the way the terrorists work is if they have you in fear, they've won.
1: Yeah, and that's well. And if you think about nine eleven, what what has changed since everybody's saying that Israel, this is Israel's nine eleven? What has changed in our country since nine eleven? You know, they they didn't need to do too much there that the attack was horrific right. of course but on the grand scheme of things if you look at all the death around the world from warlords and conflicts and i i'm involved in all of them unfortunately uh it's actually small scale the the amount of people that died um but the effect it had on our culture and society has Change changed everything it's have it changed everything and so i think um I think the same thing with Israel, this this kind of a, a catastrophic event that's so shocking to everybody, but actually shouldn't be so shocking when you're surrounded by people who have been saying they're going to do this for a long time, but live within your own borders. Um, but it will change things for Israel uh, on a, a large scale. It's something they've been having a hard time with. My, I was supposed to go there on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I have a nonprofit. And we helped out a lot in Ukraine. What we did was we worked with the civilians there to train them up in trauma first aid and um, how to, you know, go into a war zone and a convoy safely when you have no weapons and, you know, do humanitarian work. And when this kicked off, of course, I got a lot of calls and people like, hey, we want to donate, we want to help. Can you, you know, what are you going to do there? And I said, well, we could probably do something similar. So I started spinning up. Well, I reached out to my friends in, in the IDF And they're like, don't come here. Fair enough. Why not? You know, I said, and I kind of was hurt at first. I was like, what? You want our help? And they're like, we're going to need your help. We don't need it now. And you're not going to be able to go anywhere anyway. Everything's locked down. The military, you're not going to be able to go south Uh, without special permission, unless you're a reporter or something like that. You're not going to be able to go north because they're starting to get, you know, activities starting to happen up there. You're going to be stuck in Tel Aviv. And my, my job, going out there was to meet with key leaders, you know, engage with community leaders to arrange training for, for civilians. Um, so I was like, okay. But uh, the other thing that came out of that, those conversations was we don't want your help right, right now. now. I know that's not harsh. Yeah. What well, well, can you do for but, us? <laughs> well, and the other thing is Israel with their history, um, having gone through the Holocaust in World War II and the That whole thing, you know, and the reason why they've been so um, proactive on security and training up their military and having their military be top notch um, was to be able to defend their people against that ever happening. Absolutely. And so... When when I step into it, and I I try to do this with anything I get into when it comes to humanitarian uh, work, whether it's on my business or on the nonprofit side, is um, how do they view it? And and me coming in and saying, hey, I can rescue you, or I have training that you don't have, or I can do this better, isn't necessarily the best way to approach things. Of course, it makes you kind of like, ah, because you want to do something, right? You have a heart to help people. We're protectors. We don't want to see people needlessly suffer. We want to take it to bad guys, you know, that's, that's what we've done for years. But um, we also take something away from patriots in their own country when we do stuff. It's like in our that. DNA.
0: It's in our blood. I mean, we're prior military. First thing I want to do, I want to jump on a jet. And I'm like, well, Mark, can you really do much for them? Not really. What, what do you yeah. can really do? Be a, Okay, you're, you know, you're, you're 50 plus years old and yeah, you have some Marine Corps training. But really, what really good are you going to be with IDF and over there? You, you, you have to learn their system and processes in the battle formations. And Mark, you're better off doing fundraising in the back country. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and it, it, honestly, they're not going to do anything with any of us unless we're contracted through the government to do something. That's a good point. And typically, they're going to wait and use coalition forces. We've worked, you know, Israel's got a lot of same training, a lot of same tactics we do. Um, but they're, they're going to work, the governments are going to work together because they want to maintain that control and and us going over to do whatever, you know, it's going to have to go through governments and they're going to have to approve it and they're, you're not going to be driving around just by <laughs> I'm all, you know, you're not going to be driving around like an operator know, without active checkpoints and, and scrutinizing what you're doing there and why you're there and if you don't have a good reason, I'm that happens to me anyway when I go to Israel. They have good security, great security. It's the most I never feel more secure than when I go to Tel Aviv. Right, or Jerusalem. and and uh, it's because they really screen people when they're going through the airport. I go in with a sat phone every time, and every time I end up with an hour long yeah. uh, interrogation or interview. You know, where they look at my computer and do all the stuff. That's normal time. Wow. You know? So you can imagine they're really going to be scrutinizing who's coming in and who's doing what and why you're doing it. And, and it's better to have you know the support of the, the government behind you. I found that out. Same thing in Ukraine. In mean, right. Ukraine, I remember the first time it really hit me was with these tier one operator guys, can guys. Um, we were doing some stuff there. We had to try and get people out from behind enemy lines. We met, went to meet with this guy who was a head of a, a orphanage over there. I remember he came up, we started talking and immediately he goes, why should I listen to you guys? And you lost Afghanistan. Ooh. And I was like, all three of us just kind of went, it got a little bit, you know, spun off and we're like, and and then one of them goes, yeah, touche. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the truth. truth, what He's you like, say. Debug it. We didn't lose Afghanistan. You and I know we didn't lose Afghanistan. That was a political decision, mm. but at the same time, we don't have the same kind of clout that we used to have, and so I had to live that down quite a few times in Ukraine when I was working with people, to build trust, and get them to understand. Look, I'm not here to fight your war. I'm here to help you guys survive and help your civilian population who's been left behind. By the way, while you're focused on the military, and that of course smooth things over. But even with that, things happen. You know, I got kicked out of the. I think get kicked out of the country. I got banned from going to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go back in. Nobody knows why. They're still trying to figure out. Wow. How it's, government if you're off we got a speeding ticket I didn't know about or something but it's like those kinds of things happen so if you want to go in to work a place you have to be really ready and prepared and make sure that you have the support you need and that you're providing something realistic that's that's actually relevant to what they need what they they're asking for and they don't know what they need right now right now they do have a pretty good control over the situation yeah there's also some you'll you'll feel some pushback sometimes with people when they're when they're in crisis where they get a little bit angry about it and they don't they especially type A's like us you know who are protectors or in the military it's like I don't need your help and so on the other on the other hand I had to talk them a little was like look you know nine eleven happened for us uh, we definitely needed help from our coalition mm-hmm. partners to fight for we couldn't have done it without them and when we did come together with them, it was, you know, sometimes we make fun of each other a little bit because, you know, some standards were different than others or whatever, but um, we still appreciated each other. I said, you're fighting this war here in Indra, but I guarantee you, and this was before all these protests, I, said, I guarantee you this is going to pop off around the world and you're going to need support. I said, and you're going to need support from people. And by saying, I don't need support from anybody, we're good. You're actually shutting down those opportunities. So there's gonna be a lot of things happening around you. Right now you're dealing internally in the mm-hmm. countries, but there are countries all around you that want to get involved in this. And you may end up fighting an actual war. Right. Because they're like, We'll be fought, you know, we're good. I was like, Yeah, you've you fought a war in the past. It was six days. It's not a protracted long-term, you know, insurgency. And I said, You may be facing that at this point. So if people reach out. We want to help. Don't shut that down. Leave those doors open. Those good conversations. and I had those conversations with a few different people said, hey, we're going to sit back and we're going to see how this uh, develops over the next few months and then decide what kind of support we can bring to you guys right now. Because it's not Ukraine. Israel is not Ukraine. It's a different animal. They they have a better economy. They have a better uh, military. They, They had a better military set up to respond, you know, to react um they have a lot more support than ukraine had when this first kicked off and uh so it'll be interesting to see how it evolves but there's rocket attacks every day um there's still a couple hundred hostages which is astronomical we've already had to deal with a couple of things like so, you know on that uh, together and and um i've never heard of that large of a group being taken and as do you think that's causing a problem with the invasion timeline and things you know like that uh, they knew what they're doing when they took their thoughts into this leverage and, and it has to do with global support you know um, but uh, yeah it's I heard from somebody else I there was a lot talk
0: to- with I'm not gonna say who but that person basically uh, was in Israel and he said yeah uh, Biden is pretty much talking to the Prime minister right now and he's just trying to delay uh, the the idea from going into Gaza right now because of the hostages and they're just trying to buy time. Um, I'm not an Israeli military expert. I'm not going to tell them how to do whatever they got to do, but what, what's your thoughts on that strategy with Biden?
1: You got to sit back. I do k and negotiation and have dealt with hostages in the past. Um, rushing in is never a good idea. Um, the problem with this one is a compounded hostage Slash we have indirect fire coming in or missile fire coming in and targeting our people as well as ground troops coming in and targeting our people. So it's not simple. Um, at the same time, if they are really concerned about the hostages and minimizing you know, the death that could happen from that, they do need to take a step back. The hardest thing for me when I do those types of negotiation, and that's just with one or two individuals, is when law enforcement, or the military, or the government gets involved. Now, there's two sides to this. My involvement in it is, hey, we're going to pay a ransom and get these people back, or we're going to negotiate and get these people back. That's my job. That's what the family wants. And they're going to pay for it. And it sucks because you're giving money to bad organizations that are going to put it back into circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I'm not going to tell somebody to say, hey, we don't want to fund this bad group, so we're just going to forget about your loved ones. Right. right? So there's two, True. two sides to this. The other side is... The government side of things, where they want to get them back without getting any, you know, giving any leverage to the, the hostage takers. You know, they don't want to give money. They don't, and they want to get them too. They want to capture them and interrogate them and get them off the streets. Whatever. It's very difficult to do that. Uh, there's a lot of risk in that, but there's also the risk with this one of, you know, uh, missile strikes. Them using them as human shields to continue. To to kill more people, you know, and and destroy more infrastructure and deteriorate their ability to fight what is going to have to happen, which is essentially a ground war. Well, so kind of like you think about it with with us. If there were somebody, if somebody had taken hostages in Afghanistan or Iraq, did it change the way we conducted military operations? Nope. Not really. Just no. I mean, SF might get involved, yeah. right, and try and do a recovery or something, but uh, it can't stop the, the, the forward movement. Um, just like we can't capitulate to countries that have their finger on a red button, you know, a mm-hmm. nuclear, the nuclear power. We still got to plan our operations if that didn't exist. So I think they're showing a lot of restraint, which is good. But the thing Israel's is fighting is not. They could go in and wipe out Gaza today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right,
1: and it wouldn't take very long at all. Um, but they're fighting a PR issue with with the rest of this around the world. They also have to worry about these other countries that are surrounding them. is a lot more organized. Because, uh, a lot more organized than the military. So does Syria, um, you know, if they if they kick off, uh, what's going to happen with those those forces? Is it going to give them the the reason they need to? to invade and, and uh, start conducting more operations in Israel around the world. So it's complex, man. And I think they're doing a fairly decent job. They've shown more restraint than I thought they, they needed to. um, When it comes to the invasion of the ground. And I think that's a good sign that people that are prevailing, you know, whatever Biden wants, I don't really care. It's, it's, you know, Netanyahu, it's Israel. It's their, their ground commanders that are making the calls. And I think that's, Important to take the politics out of it and just dumb it down to there are victims, there are innocent people, individuals, children, women, elderly people that are in horrific situations right now that need to be helped, period. That's it. Uh, whatever the politics of that are, it doesn't, doesn't really bother me.
0: You know, you said something that, that got caught my attention is I thought for sure IDF would be on the ground in Gaza way like a, five days ago. And first was the weather, and then Biden strategically planned a trip out there when everybody canceled meeting with him maybe after the uh, the hostages were taken. And uh, I think everybody thought, you know, the battleship group would start throwing rockets into Lebanon. That never happened. And I think it's been a very a big game of patience, a chess game almost on the ground. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised Israel's held back as long as they have. Myself, I'm like, whoa, they haven't gone in yet, huh? What are they doing? And all of a sudden, you see the hostages kind of start trickling out.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's that. I, you got to look at this um, from a ground commander's perspective. Sure. I think the, the good thing about Israel's government is they listen to their their commanders in the field, yeah. and most of those guys have the same mindset that you and I have when it comes to civilians. You know, there's a lot of propaganda pushed out there, and a lot of civilians who have no clue because they've never been on the battlefield. And I'm sorry to say that, but True. it's the truth. Uh, we don't understand that we don't go in to kill nope. civilians and hurt people. We went to Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan in right. there too during the invasion. We didn't go there to target the civilians. We were looking for Al Qaeda and Taliban. Uh, and that's who we targeted. And yes, civilians did die during those times. You know, airstrikes are, are difficult. You do the best you can. Um, same thing with Iraq. We didn't go in to target mm-hmm. civilians. There were specific things that we had to look for when we did the invasion. Yep. Right? They had to have boots. They had to be talking on a sat phone or something like that. They had to have a weapon. There's rules of engagement, and I think it's the same for these commanders on the ground. They want to get as many civilians sure. out of those occupied territories as they can. They care. They do care, and that's a hard thing. <laughs> Problem is, people monk people into two groups, and they think everybody is that way, and it's really dangerous. That's the dangerous mindset that people have. That's that true. Um, that's not the way people people typically operate, especially when they're on the ground and they're used to seeing evil face to face. It's not like they're going around just headshot, headshot, you, know, pe- you know group of people. True, and they understand the mentality of the people who have lived underneath a terrorist organization for the last you know decade. You know, they have there's a lot of fear there they're Correct. dealing with and there's a lot of they're they're being manipulated a lot you know so you know it, it's gotta you gotta look at it that way i think they're listening to the ground commanders i'm sure they want to do their job rock or cross, but they also don't want a bunch of civilians in the way and they've been known to use them as human shields before so i think that's what you're seeing and then people just pick up on that and kind of throw their sound bites out so they can get their clicks you know exactly.